Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to this hour. I get Ken samples uh, for the whole hour, so I'm looking forward to that. And I want you to know you can ask any question anytime you want, especially if you hear Ken say something you'd like clarification on. Let us know what it is. It'd be a text only, 877-933-2484. We're going to talk about a pretty simple subject today. We're just going to discuss the Trinity Hmm. <laughs> that should uh, get everyone's interest because it does mine. And uh, if you've got goals set for 2020, some spiritual goals, um, can you understand the Trinity well enough to explain it to a lay person? Do you feel like you can you can communicate it well? This is an hour you're not going to want to miss. So we're going to take uh, 60 seconds and then uh, bring Ken on. But again, just have that number handy if you want to send a text question. It's 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four. Ken, of course, is a philosopher and theologian. You can learn more about him at reasons.org. He uh, is my guest for the full hour. So let's take full advantage of Ken. We'll be right back. Whether it's the cry of an unborn child or the cry of a heart that's hurting and searching for redemption, life is precious. As you listen to Faith Radio, we can develop a deeper love for all life and all people because that's what happens when you develop a deeper love for God. Connecting faith to life, which brings new life. Faith Radio. Connecting your faith to your everyday life. There's nothing I don't appreciate about it. Um, I started listening to the Faith Radio almost exclusively a few years ago because I just love the teaching. Just the truth of God's Word. Everything is just so so sweet to listen to. The teachings, it just really motivates you and keeps you coming back for more. We're growing together. On Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to have Ken Samples back. He is a philosopher and theologian and a regular guest on the show. We try to get him once a month, and boy, do I get happy when he comes on because uh, I learn so much. I take notes every time he's on, and I've got a thick notebook uh, that I have uh, already going. And I've got my, my page open and my pen ready, Ken. Welcome. Are you there? Sounds like he's there in theory, but maybe not. Well, we're going to try to make sure we get a good connection with him. I think he's coming to us on the Skype line, but I'm not sure. I don't hear him, so uh, cause for concern for now. But uh, we can try again. Maybe we can try connecting with him on the phone. We're going to talk to Ken today about the Trinity, and I've already got a great question that's come in from a listener, so I'm excited to pop this one on Ken. And if you have a question, maybe you've been figuring 
I need to learn more about the Trinity. I need to make sure I understand uh, how to communicate it to a layperson or to another uh, young Christian, young believer. So you're going to want to stay tuned. We've just got to make sure we get kind of the line. Let's take a short break and uh, get him connected. We'll be right back. Monday. So glad to have Ken Samples on the show today. He's a philosopher and theologian. We're talking about the Trinity today, and uh, I'm going to keep you busy the next half hour, Ken, just so you know. Okay, I'm yep. looking forward to it. Yeah, lots of questions. Uh, where should I start? Um, please define what the Church Fathers meant by person. Yeah, this is a this is a great question. Um, you have. Uh, among the church fathers. So if you think about church history, Christ dies 30, 33 AD. You have the first century with the apostles. Then from the second to about the fifth, sixth century, you have an era we call the church fathers. And some of the church fathers are Greek and some are Latin. The Greek are mostly in the East, the Latin are mostly in the West. And so you have the Greek Orthodox, you have the Western Catholic Church, and you have two different languages. You have the Greek uh, language and the Latin language. That, that causes some of the growing uh, friction and differences within Christianity. But you then have the question of, uh, do, we, do we use the uh, Greek term prosopon, uh, or do we use the Latin persona? Uh, and this has, of course, been a dispute, but the idea is that each of the three persons uh, have mind and will. Uh, there are, they are distinct persons, but they're not separate persons. So, Bill, you and I, we're two distinct persons, but we're separate beings. Whereas in the Trinity, here are three distinct centers of consciousness, three persons, but they're not separate from one another. And so uh, we can use modern words like person or subsistence. So there's some technicality to it. But these are three distinct uh, centers of consciousness, three uh, persons who all share the one divine nature. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Another question, Ken. What do Jehovah Witnesses believe regarding the Trinity? Yeah, very good. Jehovah's Witnesses are Unitarian in orientation, so they come out of the 19th century. They rejected the doctrine of the Trinity. They, they call God Jehovah, and they say that Jehovah is a single solitary being. They reject the deity of Jesus, the Son, and they reject the deity and personhood of the Spirit. So they believe that Jehovah created Jesus— he wasn't an eternal uh, uh, person with the Father. Jehovah created Jesus, and then through Jesus created all other realities. Well, this is not new. This is this is very similar to the Arian controversy uh, in the in the uh, fourth and fifth centuries. 
And and so they, they reject the Trinity. They would be Unitarian, and their Christology is, is Arian. And I would say that the differences that Christians have with Jehovah's Witnesses are not differences like Catholic and Protestant or Lutheran or Baptist or Episcopalian. They're, they are fundamentally different because uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have a different God, a different Christ, and a different gospel. All right. Here's a question from a listener named Scott. He says, we have a gentleman in our congregation who advocates for tritheism. He says, we need to develop a relationship with each of the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. On top, on top of that, he ardently is King James Version only. How do you handle such people or convince them of the Trinitarian view? Yeah, this is a, this is an important question. It's partly a doctrinal, partly an apologetic question, and partly a pastoral question. I think uh, tritheism is not equivalent to historic Christianity. Tritheism rejects the Trinity because tritheism means there are three gods, three different gods. The Father is a god, the Son is a god, the Holy Spirit is God. Tritheism. Uh, the the uh, Greek word for God is theos, so three different gods. That would not be consistent with the Trinity. That's not in accord with the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. This idea uh, reflects Mormon ideas. It reflects other ideas. So I, I think what I would suggest is that the pastors have a—pastors and elders have a— a private theological and doctrinal discussion with this person. Um, I don't think that person should be advocating those beliefs in the church. He's invite. He can be invited to come and to listen. Um, and I think that again, what we want to say is, there's only one God. There's only one divine nature. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are three distinct persons, they all share fully and equally that one divine essence. So there's not three gods, there's one God who lives and exists as three distinct centers of consciousness or three distinct persons. You know, if I look at this question again, Ken, and you did a beautiful job of answering it, so thank you for your answer, but he says that we need to develop a relationship with each I mean, I think of my relationship in, with God the Father, and I think of my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is my comforter and an advocate. I mean, do I, do I not have a relationship with each one of them? Well, this is a, this is a really interesting question, and it's one I, I like to address, because I would say that when you come to know God, you come to know the triune God, and that triune God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So to know God as a historic Christian is to, is to have a relationship with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it could be that, you know, in, in some areas, Christians emphasize one person more than another. I mean, sometimes evangelicals talk a lot about Jesus, but they don't talk a enough about the Trinity. Maybe our Pentecostal charismatic friends, they talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but the Trinity brings us back that God is one being, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, you can't have Jesus without the Father and the Spirit. 
because Jesus is the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father. And when you have Jesus, you have the Father's Son, and you have the one who was anointed by the Spirit. So our relationship is with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I like it. Here's another question, Ken. We pray to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Is there any reason to think that we are doing that wrong and need to be praying only to God the Father? Can you define Holy Spirit in words that we could explain to others? Yeah, um, well, I think, the, I think the basic biblical pattern, the general biblical pattern of prayer is that we offer our prayer to the Father in the name of the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, that's not always the, the case. There are examples in the New Testament where prayers are offered to Jesus. I see no problem offering a prayer to the Holy Spirit because he's fully God. He is fully a divine person. He shares the one nature of God with the Father and with the Son. He's involved in redemption. He is involved with our regeneration. I don't see any pro- I don't see any doctrinal problem with offering a prayer to Jesus. I, the other day, I was going through some frustration, and I said, Jesus, when you were on earth, you, you must have experienced this. There are other occasions when I'm praying for somebody to, uh, to receive the Lord, and I realize the Spirit is involved in opening someone's heart, so I offered a prayer to the Spirit. The general prayer, the general prayer would be to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Spirit, but we can change up. Uh, the, the one God is the three persons. Now, the Holy Spirit, well, we know that the Holy Spirit is God. He was involved in creation. Uh, the Holy Spirit is referenced as God in Acts 5. Uh, Peter says, you haven't lied to God. You, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit can speak. The Holy Spirit convicts, so we know that he is a person. So I would say the Holy Spirit is a divine, spiritual person uh, who is in unity with the Father and the Spirit in, in eternity. Talking to Ken Samples, and if you've got a question about the Trinity, let us know what it is. You can send us a text, 877 another question. Um, in Matthew 28, 19, Kenneth says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Could we consider that what represents these three entities in the name Jesus Christ, that the name Jesus Christ does reference the Trinity? No, I think you can make a, a big mistake at that point. There is a teaching that was very popular in Pentecostal circles early in the 20th century known as uh, one, the oneness doctrine or Jesus only. And that belief is that, that the Father became the Son, and then the Son became the Spirit. In church history, we call that Sabellianism or modalism. Uh, modalism is the idea that God just changes appearances or faces. Well, this was picked up by the Pentecostals. In the 20th century, the Assembly of God 
They separated themselves from this doctrine. So uh, Jesus is Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He took human nature at his incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas. So Jesus is the God-man. But the Father and the Spirit are also God, and they are distinct persons from Jesus or the Son. It's very interesting. I did not know that. Again, you use another big word that I don't know. So um, I, I, I learned so much. Here's another question uh, or a comment from a listener named Jerry. He said, I probably oversimplify the Trinity when I explain it as we are three-part beings, body, mind, and spirit. When God made us in his image, he made us three parts just as he is, only he is so vast that he seems to be three separate beings, but like our three parts, they are all one person. Well, uh, I'm going to criticize that. Okay. Um, I'm going to criticize it in this way, Bill. I don't we shouldn't think of God as three fractions. The Father's one-third, the Son's one-third, the Holy Spirit is one-third. We shouldn't speak of the persons as being parts or fractions of God. Rather, we should think of there being one divine nature or one divine being, and the three distinct persons, they share fully and equally that one divine nature. Now, I don't mind the idea of comparing humans to God in the sense that we're made in God's image. I like analogies, have to be careful with them, but I like analogies. But of course, um, not all Christians think that we're three parts, you know, body, soul, and spirit, tri tripartites. Um, I don't think so because uh, soul and spirit are used interchangeably in the, in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I'm a dichotomist rather than a trichotomist. But we shouldn't think of God being divided into three parts. Rather, the one God is, is uniquely, fully, and eternally three distinct persons. So they, they are all equal. None of them are subordinate to one another. And they share that one divine essence eternally and fully. Yeah, it's a beautiful answer. Ken Samples is my guest. We're going to take a little break, but please... Uh know that you can call or uh, you can text your questions. If you've got a question about the Trinity, maybe you've had it in your head for a decade or two decades. Let's get it out today. 877-933-2484. Again, it's 877-93-FAITH. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Back to the show. Ken Samples is my guest today. He's a philosopher and theologian. We're talking about the Trinity today, so let us know what your questions are. You can text them to 877-933-2484. Ken, I'm interested in, about the idea of uh, subordination as if there is a hierarchy in the Trinity. I mean, you think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, is there another way I can do this? And if there's not I understand not my will, but thy will be done. So maybe yeah. can you explain, is there hierarchy or there was seem, seems to be subordination there? Yeah, this is a very important uh, issue. It's come up in various places in church history. 
I think what we want to say, Bill, is that there is no subordination within the Trinity when it when it comes to God's nature or being. That is, the Father is not a greater being than the Son and the Spirit. So there is no subordination. The Father, Son, and Spirit share the one divine nature fully and equally. However, often in Scripture, when it talks about what seems to be a subordination, the context is often Jesus in his incarnation becoming man. Uh, and in his incarnation, he can call the Father his God because he's, a, he's also a man. He can also, as a man, say the Father is greater than I am. This is where I think the Jehovah's Witnesses and others make a mistake. Often this sub idea of subordination or inferiority is in the context of Jesus's humanity, not his deity. Now, um, there are theological debates about whether the Son will submit to the Father in eternity, but I think it's very important to appreciate and to understand that there is an, an eternal equality among, among the members of the, of the Godhead. Mm -hmm. Interesting question from a listener that said, do kids have the Holy Spirit or only after they are old enough to make decisions for Christ in faith? Well, uh, of course, within Christian theology and uh, the Christian theological traditions, you have uh, traditions that baptize infants. You have other traditions that wait until, you know, they're uh, a little older, 12, 13 years old, and make a profession of faith. So Christians don't hold all doctrine and practice uh, in complete agreement, but maybe those like Catholics or Lutherans uh, or Anglicans, they believe that uh, in a, a, a person's baptism, there is a unique gifting of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and of course, I've, I've known kids very young, including my own children, uh, who have often deep insights. And I think... Uh, when God comes to live within us, we are indwelt by the Trinity. And, and so um, I, I, don't, I don't think people are too young to start hearing, thinking, reflecting, and praying to the Trinity. Mm -hmm. All right, here's another question from a listener. Susan says, lately I've been asking God to give me a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit because I want more power in my life and in my prayers. What do you think? Well, I, I would, I guess, respond this way. I, I think that it's, there's only one time that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and, and uh, that is when we believe. But there are times in Scripture that it talks about an empowering, a, a gifting, a filling. Maybe that could happen multiple times, but the idea of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that happens once and it remains with us forever. Mm-hmm. So maybe not a necessary ask? Well, not necessarily wrong to ask. I think we can... I think we can ask the God, the Holy Spirit, to refresh us, to equip us. Uh, we, can, we can confess our sins and submit to his will. I don't think that there's anything wrong necessarily with the idea of multiple fillings, but we shouldn't mistake that for the idea that somehow we've lost the Holy Spirit, he's gone, and now we have to get him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken, our Muslim friend who uh, texted our question earlier 
uh, added something else. I just thought I'd share this. This would be an encouragement. I was, he said, I was raised to fear God and follow a man, Muhammad, and the way he lived. As I looked at his life, I realized I couldn't accept his life as a holy one. There was no spirit in the faith of Islam, just rules to follow to avoid the hellfire. It was my search for love of God that I met Jesus and learned how much God loves me and accepting Jesus in me and through me. That's a wonderful statement from somebody who grew up Islamic. Um, I can tell you, uh, Bill, that um, Jesus is unlike all others. Uh, You know, it's not just that normal, everyday people like you and me don't compare well to Jesus. Neither do Krishna, Buddha, Confucius, or Muhammad. Uh, None of those men ever said, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and, uh, you know, I will give you rest. Uh, Muhammad was a sinful, broken human being. Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life and laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin. The love of God is what makes the Trinity so exciting and so inviting. That's fantastic. I just raised my hands in the air in victory when you said that. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. There's another question about eternal subordination. What scripture would you use to show that eternal subordination is an incorrect view? Well, um, I, again, some of this gets kind of theologically technical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, however, that the way we could approach it is, uh, for example, the Son and the Spirit, they not only are called God in Scripture, but they do, they seem to possess the prerogatives of deity. You know, Jesus claims to be able to forgive sin. He claims to be able to judge humanity. He claims to be able to answer prayer. So Jesus seems to have the prerogatives that are equal with the Father. The Holy Spirit is involved in creation. He is involved in redemption. So I would see the three persons as having the qualities and characteristics uh, of divinity. Now, again, we can get into some further discussion about issues like being begotten, Um, But I don't think that any of that teaches that there is an inferiority or a a subordination of nature within the the Godhead. Mm -hmm. Ken, I'm keeping you busy today, and here's another one that uh, is an interesting question. Will Will we be able to see all three members of the Trinity in heaven? Wow. That's a, see, you've, you're such a good talk show host, Bill, <laughs> that you, you attract such thoughtful listeners who, who are wise and thoughtful. Uh, the answer to that is, I, I don't know fully. Uh, Christians have talked about the beatific vision where we will encounter God. You know, will, will our knowledge of the Father and the Spirit be mediated through the Son, or will we have an encounter with God, the the most perfect, beautiful being. All I can tell you is we'll we'll have a much more intimate relationship in the next life, but the details I think we'll have to wait. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, here's a question. I got to sort through this. Jesus was not created, correct? Of course, the answer is yes. He existed before coming to Earth. 
do we have any biblical knowledge of him before he came to earth, for example, in relation to angels? Well, I, I think we can do some theological reasoning. You know, if if the Father is an eternal Father, then he must have had an eternal Son. Mm-hmm. Because if there's no eternal Son, then we can't call the, call the Father eternal. I think we see some evidence in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. I, I think we see some plurality within unity. Uh, again, it, it is limited in those kind of contexts, but the New Testament's quite clear. It talks about Jesus uh, being a eternal being with the Father. I'm thinking of John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. Um, Jesus is the creator. He is in the beginning and the creator of all things, which would include not just the material cosmos, but also angelic beings. So I think Scripture supports the idea that Jesus is eternal with the Father and superior above all other subordinate creatures. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ken, I'm running out of time, unfortunately. Let me ask this question real quick. Jesus on the cross, where was the Holy Spirit at the time? Well, I think that what we see is that the uh, the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in, in the life of Christ. Remember, uh, Jesus is called Messiah, which is Hebrew for the anointed one. Mm-hmm. He is anointed by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is often referencing the Spirit and, and the Father. So I would say that the Spirit was there, the Spirit was seeing the unfolding of the plans from eternity, and... Uh, Jesus immediately ascends to the Father, and, and, and Jesus says, it's okay that I go away because I'm going to send the Comforter, yeah. and the Spirit then become, comes on the church. Ken, it's been a great hour. Thank you so much for being such an amazing guest. Uh, I so look forward to our chats, and I know our listeners absolutely love you, so thank you. God bless you, Bill. Thank Pleasure you. being with thank you, you so as much. always. Ken Samples has been my guest. Go to reasons.org to learn more about Ken. That wraps up our show. Have a great night, everyone. As you lay your head on the pillow, know that God is working out his great plan in your life. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Welcome back to the show. So glad to be talking to Rebecca Ree. She's been a regular guest on the show lately. And if you've not been to her uh, website and read her blog, you need to get there and get on her mailing list because her blogs are so wonderful. Though one we just talked about, her silver glasses, is on her blog, and one of her newest ones is called Pasta Jesus. And, of course, that got my attention immediately. And as I read it, as I read it, Rebecca, I was completely gripped, as I am with all of your stuff. And I would love for you to tease our readers about Pasta Jesus. Yes, well, I'll assure everybody from the beginning, it's not that Jesus is made out of pasta. So of course um, we not. won't go there. No, of okay. course not. Oh, let me start off by just asking a question. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you show up for a pop quiz and you're in your pajamas? Totally. <laughs> like, one of, yeah, like yeah. you're just so ill-prepared. Like, yes. For one of, the, one of those dreams. Yes. Okay, well, so I've been a Christian for, let's say, at least three decades at this point. So, you know, I've had a life of prayer, of developing spiritual practice, of living in Christian community, and you could argue I've even had some advanced degrees in Bible. I have a, you know, a PhD in religion and literature. And I have to say, with all of that, it's been almost of no help to me. <laughs> 
in teaching my seven-year-old autistic son about God. So I have basically shown up for my pop quiz with my son, and I'm in my I'm in my pajamas. I am <laughs> okay. standing there going, "Okay, how do mm-hmm. we handle this one?" <laughs> gotcha. And so um, I have needed something very simple and practical um, that will hit home for him in terms of explaining who is God and specifically who is God for him. So that's where Pasta Jesus comes into the picture. I was at the dollar store, and when I'm at the dollar store, I usually um, stroll down the toy aisle because you never know. With with my son, I often need motivators to help teach him how to do things or or to do them at all. And so I often have a little stockpile of things that I keep hidden in my house so I can like pull something out to help motivate him to do something. And so I happened to catch um, sight of this uh, little Jesus figurine. And um, I liked his expression because so many times you see Jesus either in paintings or figurines, and he's either um, looking like he's about to recite, like, the phone book, or he's, like, that perfectly oiled ringlet, or he looks, like, kind of creepy, like, no nobody would want to sit next to in a movie theater or on a park <laughs> bench. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just, just one of those. But this looked like, you know good old wholesome regular Jesus guy you know just and he, and he was the perfect size he could fit in the palm of, of one's hand which is where he mostly resides now he sits on our dining room table and whenever we um, say grace before a meal we put pasta Jesus in my son's hand and we sing a very simple song and then my son says amen but his version is actually amen And then we, and then we eat. So uh, basically he is a plastic object that goes in my son's hand and and my son eats pasta every night for dinner. Hence we call him pasta Jesus. So to my son, he is a piece of plastic that he is put in his hand before he consumes carbohydrates. That is (laughs) pasta Jesus. So, um, (laughs) um, and because um, my son loved marinara sauce on his pasta, uh, Jesus's white robes have gotten quite, uh, red at this point. So he is, you know, the people's Jesus. He doesn't mind getting messy. Um, this is pasta Jesus. And um, it's very, I figured, you know, you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. But um, so it's helpful to have pasta Jesus because, you know, it, my son is is getting an idea that it's, it's good to give thanks before we eat. But I am under no illusions how huge the gap is between this little plastic figurine and who Jesus really is. Mm-hmm. I'm under no illusions about that. And um, as I contemplate this, you know, this chasm, um, I've between, you know, the real Jesus and pasta Jesus, I, I've noticed there's this hard little knot of anger inside me. And I think that um, something in me that actually, you know, blames God for my son's autism, um, sees no point in asking for God's help with this. It's almost like, and I'll read you a little quote from the blog, why stand in line with all the other suckers waiting for a handout from one who just as easily rains curses as blessings upon his hapless children's heads? And um, somebody might say, how can you claim to be a Christian and, and say something like that? I mean, how can you say, you know, it's God's fault your son has autism? How can you even think such things and, and say you don't even want to bother asking, you know, God to help reveal himself to your son 
um, because, you know, you're, you're so angry about this. Um, but I feel like no matter how long we've been believers, no matter how long I was talking about before the, the life of Christianity that we try to cultivate about prayer and community and, and spiritual practice, there will always be pockets of unbelief that remain in us um, that are usually tire, uh, tied to bewilderment and pain. Um, in certain corners of our soul, we are the ones that are clutching the pasta Jesus while the other people around us are singing. And we are the ones on one side of that gap while the other people are the ones with the faith and the belief and the knowledge. Uh, and maybe in those corners of our soul where, where we're clutching the plastic doll, we have stopped believing that anything good will ever happen to us again. That is how profound we're hurt and we're bewildered and we're grieving some kind of loss, the way that my husband and I often grieve and struggle with our, with our son having autism. So the question becomes then, um, what do we do with those parts? What do we do with those parts that um, are, as you could say, unknowing of God and unbelieving of God as my son currently is um, in his and where he is right now with, with Jesus and his knowledge of Jesus. And I would say maybe three things, simple things, small things. We, we don't talk about small things on our blog. And this, for the first, first thing I would say, for heaven's sake, have mercy on yourself. You know, don't berate the little atheist that's within you, because there's probably a really good reason why he or she exists. Like, my son's autism is no joke. There's a reason my, my husband and I struggle really hard with it. Um, and the, there is, it's, it's no joke whatever deficiency is within you, whether it's a deficiency of faith, of, of vision, um, whether, you know, you're struggling with grief or loneliness, whatever it is, it's no joke. And there's a real reason why, you know, you're struggling with, uh, with it. You didn't ask, you know, for that. He didn't ask for his faulty wiring in his brain, and you didn't ask for whatever deficiency is in your life. So don't berate that part of yourself. Have mercy um, to begin with. Um, that, was the, that would be the very first thing I would suggest. And then the second thing I would suggest is um, get help in, in the sense of find someone who can put something very simple and practical in your hand. Don't try to do this by yourself. Um, I would no more expect my son to be able to take first steps towards faith and believing in God by himself from where he is in his beginning point than I would expect someone struggling with, you know, blaming God for something really hard in their life, because that's how it seems. Like, wow, you have control over this, but yet you allowed it to happen. Well, if you're, that's where you are in your faith and that's how it seems to you emotionally, you need to, you need some help with that. Um, you need some support with that. Um you know, so get somebody who's going to walk alongside you with that. And on, on as a sidebar, you might even want to find an image of Jesus that you like and that you speaks to that speaks to you to remind you of His presence through this process. You might want to go to the dollar store and find your own. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Every little bit counts, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the third thing is, um, be patient. You know, when we read the love chapter in First Corinthians 13, the first two. Love is patient. Love is kind. Those are the, that's how I'm trying to be with my son. I think if anything else, if I, if when he looks up in my face and he sees 
patience and he sees kindness, well, maybe that's the strongest and most compelling demonstration of who Jesus is that I can give him at this point, if, if words are not the medium that he uses, you know? So I would say, you know, be patient with yourself, be kind with yourself. There is a reason why you're not understanding. You're on one side of that chasm and um, the faith you want to have in God, the understanding you want to have is on the other. Um, so just understanding that in all of us, there is a place where we are um, the autistic child, maybe if you want to say that in our faith, and we need to be very loving and go gently with that part of ourselves. Rebecca, it seems like such a challenge because you need to be reflecting something to your son that says joy and calm and happiness when maybe internally you're feeling a little anxiety and restlessness. Oh, more than a little. And that's okay. why that's why the body of Christ becomes so important. Just this morning, I went to um, a prayer group that my, my church has on Friday morning and let a group of women lay hands on me and pray for me because I can't do this by myself. And what I don't want to vent on my son is some, I bring it somewhere else. And they help, they help me carry that this morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to encourage yeah. all of the listeners to go to uh, Rebecca's website, Rebecca Re, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-H-E-E dot net. Enjoy her blog, but then also pray for her when you go there. Just make it a point to say, I'm going to spend some time with the Lord lifting Rebecca and her family up. I know that would be uh, the most wonderful thing you could do is enjoy her writing and then to uh, pray for the family. Oh, thank you so much. That would be such a blessing for us. Yeah, I I would encourage everyone to do that. And again, Rebecca, every time you, you come on, I you're such a magnificent storyteller, and I just your writing is beautiful and poignant, and you do it so well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is absolutely my joy and my honor. Terrific. Rebecca Ree has been my guest. Again, RebeccaRee.net. That's R-H-E-E. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for listening and being with us today. Um, I'm so grateful that we get to spend this time together, that uh, when, when, it meet, when we get to meet and be together and do this, this is outstanding. I just love it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending me notes when you do. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just know that God's working out his great plan in your life. God bless. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.